Welcome to the fifth episode of the Silicon Sasquatch Podcast. Uh, my name is Nick Cummings, and uh, we're back from the 2009 Penny Arcade Expo. Uh, unfortunately, Spencer seems to have come down with a packed swine flu and wasn't able to make it tonight, but both Tyler Martin and I are here and ready to talk. Uh, joining us tonight is Aaron, Aaron Thayer. Hello. And Doug Bonham. Hello. And, of course, Tyler Martin. Hey there. Tonight's format's going to be a little bit different than before. Uh... Aaron and Doug will be leading the conversation uh, since they weren't able to attend. And uh, Tyler and I will be doing our best to kind of answer their questions and uh, debrief packs as best as we're able. So, uh, Aaron, you want to start things off? I sure do, Nick. All right, so to both of you guys, Nick and Tyler, um, obviously we weren't able to go. would love to go to packs. Doug's been. I haven't. And I was just kind of curious, this year, um, bigger show this year, what were your general impressions about it and how does it compare to some of the last few packs conventions? I thought that uh, despite the larger attendance, it actually felt less crowded than last year did. Last, I think they did did a much better uh, job of size management this year, especially the show floor, how they split it up into two, and the panels were a bit away from everything, so I never had to deal with crowds the same way I did in years prior, except for maybe going up those escalators. Yeah, I would say my experience was... Uh much better than any previous year. I've, I've been every single year they've done it. So They opened up the, the top two floors, which made a huge difference for because most of the panels ended up taking place there instead of being crammed in uh, near or around uh, free play gaming or the expo hall itself. It was a lot less stressful, and it made for a lot more fun uh, of an event. Yeah, I've, I've read about... I, I didn't get the chance to go to PAX this year because I had classes and stuff over the weekend, but I'd heard about them selling out and having damn near 60,000 people in there. And I keep thinking back to last year and how it was just a few thousand, or how that number is just a few thousand more than last year's number, and thinking, where are they going to put everybody? But apparently they opened up two more floors at the convention center in downtown Seattle. And, yeah, the worst part of last year was that if you were trying to go to a panel in a tiny little theater, you'd be just... The, the hallways were so narrow and so many people trying to get to different things in the same area that it was just very crowded. There was definitely no shortage of neckbeards in BO this year, though. <laughs> oh, what would PAX be without that, though? There was, fortunately, a much wider, I guess, diversity of attendees. Uh, I saw a lot more kids. I saw a lot more kids with parents. Um, I was really rather like appalled at some of the parents that brought their kids, just letting them roam around free willy, like... When I was in line for ODST Firefight, I saw a child that had to be, I would say, at least 12 years old. He looked 8 to me, and mother was nowhere to be seen. And I'm just like, there's a sign at the front that says oh, 17. was that the kid with the, the bikini lady on his cell phone? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was. <laughs> that was. That was creepy. <laughs> the kid that looked like he'd probably kick both of our asses at Halo. But nonetheless, should not have been in line for that game. Was he wearing the Halo 3 Collector's Edition helmet? The cat helmet? Yeah, the it one that... probably fit on him. You can actually, apparently, cut that out and wear it as a helmet. I don't know why you'd want to, but... No, people have a lot of reasons for doing weird things with Halo, and I just choose to ignore it. The other thing is I got I definitely got a phone call Friday morning when I was driving to class uh, in Portland area from Tyler, who was in line and had just seen like some parents and a small infant, I think, and they were all dressed in cosplay gear. It's like, oh my god. Oh, this that this the is the sort of memories that come out of somebody, some kid's like poor family album in the next few years. Was that the one dressed up like the, uh, the fruit? Yes, the fruit lover? That, that was definitely the, the crowning achievement of shame the entire weekend. 
<laughs> it, it wasn't an infant. The child could walk, but it was definitely not okay, old enough okay. to realize a what toddler. was going on. It wasn't old enough to know what it was doing to the fruit. Right. Even even scarier, though, is the concept that nerds might be mating. <laughs> well, hopefully for Anyways. no longer now they've introduced the, the Fleshlight Ottoman. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you serious? I'm dead serious. This is a real thing. We'll have to include a link to that it, later. It is a piece show of notes. Show notes. With a flashlight built in. But uh, <laughs> wait. <laughs> Don't overthink it. We'll, we'll explain it to redemption. you when you're older, Aaron. We'll explain it to you when you come of age. I have heard of the flashlight, and I'm waiting for that okay. to be an interactive, uh, maybe XNA uh, type of demo that you can plug it into your 360. And I can see that making for a really good music game. It would. Oh, it's God. definitely a rhythm title. From what I could tell. Um, so Nick, you were you were saying that um, as far as the neckbeards too, that the AT and T network took a pretty big hit, didn't it? At the expo. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you didn't tweet as much as you were promising. Yeah, I kind of promised a lot of like up to the minute updates and you know everything I'm doing ever from PAX, and it ended up being I would take a break a couple times a day and run back to my desktop because I brought my computer this year. PAX had its own Wi-Fi too, but I, I don't tweet about games very often. You let down our audience, which consists of us and my mother. So. And Kellen, who and just hates everything we write about. That's right. So. <laughs> Shout out to Kellen. I know you're going to listen to this. Yeah. Um, Cataclysm is about... You You would probably hate it, so <laughs> thanks for listening. In all, in all fairness though, Nick, I mean, we should have honestly seen it coming, considering that in concerts at PAX in years past, people have held up Nintendo DS's or Game Boy Advances or iPhones as the years go on and used them instead of lighters at the shows. Yeah, that was no different this year. It was. That seems to be a very nerd culture thing. At the MC Chris show I went to for the Transformers premiere in Eugene, everyone was doing that. And then that was when the iPhone was still pretty new. So the one guy who held up his iPhone, everyone, everyone including MC Chris, was like, yell at that asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty interesting. Um, as far as the convention itself, I know you guys went to a lot, a lot of different panels, and Nick, you were talking about uh, Ron Gilbert's keynote, and you seemed to be pretty impressed. I wanted you to talk about that. Sure. Uh, did you go, Tyler? No, I did not go to Ron Gilbert. He was the same time as some other panel I went to. For those unaware, the creator of Monkey Island. Yeah, the creator of Monkey Island worked on uh, Maniac Mansion, was the uh, originator of the, the scum scripting language, which, you know, powered Day of the Tentacle, Full Throttle, uh, Zach McCracken, all, all the classic LucasArts games up until basically Grim Fandango. More recently, he's worked on the, the Penny Arcade uh, episodes and uh, currently Death Spank. Which is a stupid title, but is apparently meant to be stupid, so that kind of helped redeem the game for me. But the keynote, um, it's actually, the, I think, only the first keynote at PAX I've ever been to. I usually just watch them later online, but Ron Gilbert created some of my absolute favorite games of all time and the ones that really kind of formed my expectations and shaped what sort of games I like as a child, so I, I was dying to go see him, and it was a, it was actually a, probably best described as a motivational speech. Uh, he talked about how he got into games. He grew up out in La Grande, Oregon, which is not really the uh, Silicon Valley of anywhere, but <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he basically just talks about how he got this dream job at LucasArts and how he, if he wanted people to take one thing away from his speech, it was that 
surrounding yourself with people who are better than you and smarter than you is the only way to go through life because he was like the least capable person at LucasArts and the people he worked with taught him everything about programming games and stuff so his, his basic thesis was that games will probably be seen 100 years from now as the most important development um, in media of the last 100 years and just because of their potential for storytelling and how we've only scratched the surface in, in theory and in practice of how you know, the act of telling the story and experiencing it firsthand is what makes it so important and uh, kind of debunked the whole Roger Ebert uh, Our games are controversy Right. He says that, you know, absolutely, there's no question. And I think I think he's uh, got a good point. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that, I don't know, it seems like expected of developers to say those kind of things that, oh, well, games will be the most important form of media and communication. And, yeah, I mean, they're in the industry. They're kind of a little bit biased. But I think it's somewhat true that, uh, like what Gilbert was saying in the keynote, games have a lot of room to grow considering it's still a fresh industry in the current form and look at how long it took films to really kind of progress outside of the uh you know the silent movies and stuff yeah i do think we haven't really seen a a true work of art within a game yet we've definitely seen some artistic creations and we've seen some developments in the medium but for the most part, there isn't a high degree of interpretation allowed with uh, most games, which I think is a key element of art. I think that'll be the biggest challenge, really, in gaming overall that we'll see in the next 20, 30, 50 years. To is. me, it kind of seems like that that is a good seg into talking about something like Heavy Rain, which we can discuss later, but Nick seemed to walk away pretty impressed, and to me that seems like a game that it's still a game, but it seems more movie-like than anything that really has come about so far. Yeah, well... Um... But, before we talk about that, um, <laughs> <laughs> both of you guys, Tyler and Nick, uh, I I would like to know the craziest stuff you saw at PAX, some weird moments, cool moments, things like that. I didn't see it, but I heard about it because of any of the people who did it. Um, well, last year... Um, Who's seen Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog? I've seen you know, a episode. How do you see one episode of a 42-minute <laughs> No, I've seen it. Oh, okay. Um, so, the main villain in the League of Villains or whatever is named Bad Horse. And he sings a... He, he basically, there's a, a, like a trio or a barbershop quartet that sings a note from him. And some people did sing that to um, Felicia Day last year at PAX. I don't know, really? <laughs> yeah, and she loved it. Oh, that's epic. So, so this year, the same group got a bunch of Boo masks, like from Super Mario Brothers, and there were two sides. Like one side had like the open smiling face Boo, and the other side had it covering its eyes. And someone had a boombox with the Boo music, and so they would fo- they were following Will Wheaton, and when he turned around, they would stop the music and flip the masks. <laughs> and apparently, it was just like hilarious. That, that, that is amazing. Yeah, there were some really phenomenal pranks every year. I mean, there's always some impressive costumes. I saw a really uh, impressive full Yoshi outfit. I saw uh, number 21 from Venture Brothers, the uh, fat one. I was pretty stunned yeah. by the Halo cosplay we saw there. Those those were not cheap looking at all. Like oh, no. full battle suit type things, Spartan. Both armor. Spartan and ODST. Oh, wow. Nice. 
There was a full N7 suit of armor from Mass Effect. Oh, cool. That would have been cool to see. Um, and to take it back for a second, what the, besides it being Will Wheaton, like, if Gabe and Tycho, the two, the writer and creator and an artist of Penny Arcade, are the father and holy ghost of the thing, Will Wheaton's the son. He's part of the trilogy of what makes PAX, like, of, of figureheads for PAX. And he's the only, like, non-musician to have his own little booth on this area where all the musicians sell their merchandise, t-shirts and CDs and such. I'm still not entirely sure what he has to do with PAX exactly, or even gaming in general. I kind He's just of... some sort of nerd avatar at this point. And so the, the concept of having a bunch of booze from Mario falling around is absolutely hysterical. He's, he's just the alpha nerd. Yeah. He has, he has his throne and he sits at it every year. That's just basically <laughs> how things go. It'd be like inviting like, Fred Savage over because he was in The Wizard. <laughs> hey, so was... Wasn't Ginny Lewis in that movie too? Yeah, she was. I'd, I'd be totally I, down to have Jenny Lewis at PAX. I am a fan of her too, Tyler, so we can talk about that on a separate podcast. All about Jenny Lewis, and we can email her. And I've already registered the domain. <laughs> that might be a little creepy considering your redhead fetishism borders on Quentin Tarantino foot levels. <laughs> hey. No, that's true. <laughs> um, so, yeah, aside from uh, crazy moments, you guys have swine um, flu yet? No, I don't think so. Tyler, did you have any moments, though, to share? I have a rock-solid immune system. Uh, as far as craziest moments, you've already heard mine. It's mostly just been the really awkward cosplay I saw. <laughs> I, I definitely saw a few Pokemon trainers there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did see a guy with Pokeballs tattooed on the outside of his elbow. Uh, I thought you were going to say Pokeballs dangling from his pants. No, that would have been clever. This is just disturbing. Most now. shameful moments, I think, would probably fall under the... What? How much effort nerds will put into getting swag, especially cheap T-shirts? Yeah. That's oh, yeah. been a tr- that's been a staple since I've been reading EGM since like '98. Yeah. Talking about, I think that back in that day it was talking about like just the nerds who are in this industry crushing to get Pokeballs that they're firing from the Nintendo <laughs> booth. So we've come a long way, baby. Kind of. Wasn't there like two years ago or last year? Uh, a Brothers in Arms thing where if you shaved your head you got a free copy of the game? Yes, yeah. there was. Uh, I think they did that at the booth. Yeah, I heard about that. Hadn't the game not come out yet, though? Like, wasn't it just a, like a pre-order? I think it was a beta thing. thing. Yeah. Might have been. Uh, I think the most shameful one of all time for PAX was the NVIDIA ones. I know for one of the years they gave like everybody this unique code. They still so do that. Everybody that was, else participating. That was this year, oh, so. God. Oh, God. Crazy. It's just insane to see all these people walking around with cardboard signs with codes on them, and it's like, you almost want to go tell them, hey, I saw this other dude, he's dressed up like this over here, he's got your number on it. What I think they should do is team up with Match.com and some sort of reality <laughs> show, and just pair up, like, nerd couples that way, just, like, oh give God. them the same number so they can get swag, and then they'll mysteriously meet, and just film it all. Oh It'll be an amazing nerd documentary. I know that there was, like, a, a, a PAX, like, meetup thread on the Penny Arcade forums for, like potential dating or something and I was like this is the last person place on earth where you want to meet someone <laughs> yeah I can see it now VH1 and Match.com team up to produce Bites and Boobs the documentary I mean, series I mean don't get me wrong there are some really cool people at PAX and I mean I wouldn't go over here if I didn't feel like I fit in there but I mean I don't know <laughs> <laughs> well I suppose you could go to any convention and see the extremes regardless of if yeah. it's um you know, video games yeah. or Dragon Con, which was going on the same time in Atlanta as PAX was this year. There was one girl I saw there. I couldn't tell if she was cosplaying for Fat Princess or Princess Peach. 
<laughs> Wait, that could oh. be a really... Oh. That's unfortunate. <laughs> the The hilarity of cosplaying at Dragon Con goes way up, though, because they're also doing a college football game at, like, the exact same point in, the, in downtown Atlanta now on these weekends. <laughs> so... There's definitely photos on the internet now of, like, stunned Virginia Tech fans wondering what the hell they're looking at. All of these latent high school nerd-bashing feelings are probably welling up in the people. God, it's like, oh it's God. like the end of... It's like the end times for the jocks versus nerds <laughs> battle. And the best thing is that this year one of the two teams involved was Alabama. Just just go there as, as you will on your own. Take it makes you want to walk mind. up to those Bama people and just be like... Okay, who do you actually want to marry? This man and woman over here dressed like Jedi, or these two <laughs> dudes over here that are shopping at Pottery Barn? <laughs> <laughs> Who's more productive oh, to man. society? Yeah. And do um, you really want the two Jedi to have children? <laughs> that reminds me of Padawans. Yeah, yeah little Padawans. Padawans and, <laughs> Padawans and their papoose. <laughs> Okay, so moving on to the games of PAX, um, we were just briefly. We're not gonna talk about the extended universe. No, unfortunately, no, never. Oh man. Oh, wait. Okay, extended universe isn't that bad. I will nerd out on that. They dropped aspect. a planet on Chewbacca. They didn't did. They? Yeah. No. Chewbacca okay, died. I, I cannot. Okay, that is honestly that. kind of the be- the best way to die ever, though. That is kind of the best way to have somebody get killed. Have a to planet kill off a major character by <laughs> yeah, exactly. We 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 are heading down a dangerous path. So okay, so heavy rain. We mentioned that before we finished our uh, thoughts about the con itself. So Nick, you had what sounded like a really cool demo that is of course unscripted. That's the whole mantra of the game, and I was uh, wondering if you wanted to go through that again because it sounded really cool. Uh, yeah, I, I can walk you through what I what I saw. Um, I didn't actually get any hands-on time, but I did watch a guy do a full demo, and that was enough to sell me on the game. Was this on the show floor? Yeah, it was. It was in the, the Sony booth. Which is... Here. Heavy Rain gives me some awkward flashbacks of Indigo Prophecy, and that is not a good thing. Well, that's the well, thing. Let me, let me preface by saying that I, I hate Indigo Prophecy. Mm-hmm. It was one of those games where I played the demo, and I was completely floored by the concept that they had built of, like, you know, this really open-ended, um, real-time adventure game very cinematic in its approach and then it ended up falling apart and being a really crappy Matrix ripoff by the end where you you basically not only do you die and then have sex with a woman you then have to fight nice in midair with purple and orange people who are like from different syndicates or ancient no you fight the internet I'm dead, oh, yeah. I'm dead serious it's the internet <laughs> it's basically the Matrix but like low budget and less inspired which is saying a lot if you've seen Matrix Revolutions so um, Indigo Prophecy for me was a gigantic failure and Heavy Rain, I might be just buying into the demo again, but this is like if they learn from every single mistake and just built it for a new generation. I thought Uncharted 2, especially with the new uh, train trailer they showed off at PAX, has so much more cinematic quality than Heavy Rain does. And that game is completely scripted, but it seems like they're hitting every high note of every action movie. It's just... It's it's amazing. They are. I think the difference is that they're both being trying to be very cinematic in a traditional sense, except Heavy Rain is not an action movie. Mm-hmm. It's very much a drama. It's very much a suspense movie. And Uncharted is like what Indiana Jones 4 should have been. And With the half-tuck. With the half-tuck. The half-tuck <laughs> is... Yeah. What, what makes Uncharted, though, isn't even like... It's not the set pieces. It's not the gameplay. 
it's the attention to detail and the the little things that you notice in the characters themselves. You know, if you look at that that most recent trailer where it shows Drake's face for like ten seconds straight on a close up, have you ever seen a game trailer do that without looking like, oh god, this is a game, this doesn't work? And have, like they pause the camera. Have you ever heard a character like spitting one liners while being shot at that don't end in oh shit or fuck yeah? <laughs> yeah, you got a point. Or tension loads. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, Uncharted is like, I think it's going to really raise the bar. I know it's an overused phrase, but for what people will expect in terms of just entertainment quality from a game. Like, you know, it doesn't pander, it doesn't repeat itself, it looks like. It looks like just a really incredibly polished experience start to finish. And I hope that the whole game is like that. Well, I. I do seem to be very much more interested in the PlayStation 3, not just because of the slim stuff recently but um, and the price drop, but Uncharted 2, the most recent train trailer, was really compelling, and it looked really good. I, I don't know if Heavy Rain will actually turn out to be something that is playable in the sense of, okay, you can get over the novelty of having so many different pathways to get to the end result and have 20 different results for one story or chapter, but does that actually make it compelling enough to finish the game? I think it personally, it looks more cinematic to me with how hard they're trying, Quantic Dream, but Uncharted 2 is, like you're saying, an action movie. It's still, I don't know, I didn't really like the first Uncharted, I will say that. It was was good, but I thought... Personally, it tried too hard in some ways, and I didn't want it to just be Tomb Raider, but better. I I thought it was decent, but Uncharted 2, to me, looks like a great improvement. Well, hold on, how did it try too hard? It just, it felt like it was pretty decent at the platforming, not platforming, but, um, yeah, I guess platforming, if you want to say that, uh-huh. other or call it wall scrambling and the gunplay to me just was okay it was a cover shooter it's a gears of war style but not like gears of war and i played through the entire game it just didn't compel me the whole way that i th- was expecting it to for being s- this really um highly praised playstation 3 exclusive the and gunplay love- is improved but the demo i played had inverted look which drove me insane because you couldn't change it yeah, can't stand that. Inverted. But I don't know, I I like Naughty Dog stuff. I've bought all of their games practically so far, and Uncharted was pretty decent, but I am much more excited for Uncharted 2 for its storytelling capabilities. Guys, I'm happy to announce, though, we finally made it as a video game podcast because we used the word compelling in a sentence regarding a video game. Not once, not twice, but three times. Now, some, You were keeping count? So, someone used the word visceral in a sentence. Uh, Uncharted's a very visceral experience. You feel like you're in the shoes of Drake, uh, especially when the gameplay heats up to a to a uh, uh, fever pitch. There we go. <laughs> actually, I was, I was, what, I was, what I was going to use that actually for was to segue into a different game that Tyler and Nick, I think, both played, which is Need for Speed Shift, which if the demo and the videos I've seen so far are to be believed, game it looks incredibly visible from the... Uh, not game of the year, but incredibly <laughs> visceral from the cockpit view, which is something that very few racing games have done. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not good at racing games, so I noticed that right away when I slammed into the first couple walls. <laughs> um, you, you you basically, you know, you're, you hit your head, and you're like, whoa, I cannot see a thing. It's all blurry. I think I'm dying. I should probably call my wife and kids, but you keep driving. And I think that really, there's a story there that should be told, but um, 
unfortunately. It's just a racing game. Um, which is ironic, because all the other Need for Speeds in recent years have had terrible stories tacked on. But uh, It looks good. It doesn't look great. The frame rate, the frame rate is what suffers, because you won't, get, you won't see 60 frames per second, I don't think. Unlike with Gran Turismo or Forza, I think. Both of those are supposed to be pushing 60, aren't they? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think uh, Forza 3 is supposed to be locked at 30, but I might oh. be incorrect. Well, I know Gran Turismo is 60. Need for Speed just has an uphill battle because they're going for that high-def audience, but both of the high-def platforms mm-hmm. supposedly have a high-tier exclusive racing games that are proven franchises coming out. And yeah, uh, Forza 3 is coming out in October, and there's very strong rumors that uh, GT5 will be out early December, is what I'm hearing. I was I shocked, because I haven't seen that anywhere, but I was hearing all over packs that GT5 is definitely coming out this year. And not just from like random nerds on the show floor, but like actual game journalists and people that work in the industry saying, yeah, we hear that it's on Sony's release list for Q4. Even if it's huh. GT5, it would seem very illogical to not have said anything yet with only a few months left in the year. I don't think they want well, to detract any attention from Gran Turismo PSP, drop? which comes out pretty soon. Oh. That too. Yeah. Um, I think it comes but, out at the same time as the PSP Go. I guess the biggest flaw, then, is that Need for Speed has to be excellent to even mm-hmm. register on anyone's radar, because... The, the competition's too tough. Well, look at Hot Pursuit, which was more of an arcade, silly, you know, cops and robbers type game, and that, that was great because that was the experience. And Nick yeah, and I, I were talking it. about this earlier, where um, why bother making a sim-type racer if you're not going to go all out and, um, like, surpass or equal GT or Forza? You know, it's well, not the, that they shouldn't try. It's just I think right. that they have a better chance of trying to do a burnout style though apparently well, what Criterion is supposed to be doing the next Need well, the for thing Speed. Is that they're, the thing is with Need for Speed is they're redoubling it and kind of doing what um, Activision did with Call of Duty series where they're splitting it to different developers. Right. But in this case they're having one of the teams do an arcade style game every other year and the other team doing a mm-hmm. more realistic one and this year is the realistic with Need for Speed shift. The thing is is that compared with GT, GT5 GT5P even and uh, Forza 3 this one isn't in the same kind of car Pokemon sort of genre where you're out to, to race and to collect cars and have fun. And in the case of Forza, to really customize and create graphics and race your friends with your custom creations. This one's got a much more limited car focus, but it also looks like they're trying to do something more organic with the storyline instead of tacking it on like the last Underground games. Based on how you race on the track, it makes you either kind of a good guy who races clean or a bit of an asshole who just punches everybody in the rear bumper to get through. Yeah. Holy I suppose shit, I would I, buy a car Pokemon game so fast, I don't <laughs> even know. I suppose I shouldn't say that, you know, a developer shouldn't try to do something that established franchises excel at. I mean, but then you look at things like Auto Modelista way back on PlayStation 2 that Capcom did, and it was a cool idea for a sim racer that was cel-shaded, but then that kind of flopped because it wasn't... That great. It wasn't really simmy. It was more doing something like the old Tokyo Extreme Racer games, mm-hmm. but it was um, kind of semi-sim and had the cel-shaded graphics. And then also, don't forget that uh, Konami or Namco, one of them did another one that I'm or um, Ridge and, Racer, <laughs> not Ridge Racer, the old Square Enix game, Racing Lagoon. It didn't come out in America. I remember no. that one. It was no, like a racing RPG. What? <laughs> I played Driving Emotion Type S, and that was awful. That was square. Yeah, that, that was yeah. awful. 
Um, the only, actually, the only real one that's made any overtures about being an RPG that's actually ever succeeded was Race Racer Type Four. Huh. That was a pretty big game back in the PlayStation One days, if I recall correctly. It was. Yeah, that thing came on two discs, man. I think I'd never heard of that. So going off of kind of talking about the new Need for Speed at PAX, um, what were some other possibly disappointing games you guys saw? Or, um, I mean, something that was disappointing, not just because you saw a video of it, but you actually got a feel for it. Mass Effect. Really? Really? Here comes the controversy. It felt so unpolished to me. Like, the, the the visuals weren't there. Uh, the, you were playing as a soldier, which is the easiest class to play as, but it's my least favorite class because you have no abilities other than gunplay. And yeah, it's totally gunplay, dull. even now, I just don't think it is that game's strong suit. Interesting. That I think they were trying to show off the demo. I, I would imagine that they're trying to do the demo B soldier class so that they can show off the improvements in mm-hmm. gunplay, but it sounds like it failed. Well, no, it wasn't bad, and to be fair, I never got any hands-on time with it. I watched uh, the demo being played a couple times, but from what I saw, it looked like it doesn't take, do anything bad. It doesn't do anything worse than the first game. But It's just kind of stale, or, I mean, I don't know how you want to well, word that, but it, it seems like everybody, again, here, here you go with the kind of inability to perceive what the game's press is really saying, but all of the previews for it since way back in E3 have been it's so much more improved, and this is going to be the game that Mass Effect 1 should have been, and so on and so forth. Tyler, did you play it? Yeah, I did, and I just don't see it as a shooter. I played it after Borderlands, which is Mm -hmm. another shooter RPG. That game is a shooter. It has really good shooting mechanics, it has a leveling up system, you improve your gunplay. That game is entirely focused on your guns. Which also goes under my biggest surprises, for the record. That game was awesome. Mass Effect does not register with me as a shooter, I think of it as a Bioware game. I like this, the dialogue mechanic in that game, and I like being able to use the powers. My favorite run through that game was playing as a renegade adept, which is entirely uh, um, biotic powers, just throwing enemies all over the place. And when you want me to run around with an automatic weapon and a rocket launcher, that's, that's not Mass Effect to me. I suppose uh, it's surprising to hear kind of a disappointing game, but I totally agree with that, that... A lot of people complained about the combat system in one and how it wasn't like a shooter, but they didn't want it to be. It was. I think they tread the line too closely to being so shooter-esque that people thought it was supposed to be. So now they're rectifying that with two, and it doesn't seem to work from what you guys are saying, possibly. And I think they shouldn't have made those concessions. I thought one... I am totally biased against it because I have played it now. What are we on, Nick? Six, six. times? Yeah, six <laughs> times through. Oh, wow. And I thought I was bad with two and a half. Mm-hmm. I love that game, absolutely. I know it has its issues, but I think it's probably one of Bioware's top games they've ever made. So it concerns me to think that they're trying to turn it into a shooter, like you said, Tyler, is a good comparison with Borderlands, which is meant to be a kind of oblivion with guns, more so than Fallout 3 ever tried to be. It's It's a Diablo weapon collection, item collecting, you know, balls out shooting type thing. Also what really disappointed me was that I really wanted to play Alpha Protocol, which is Obsidian, is also very Mass Effect-esque. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was there. Now I'm hearing after the fact that it was, but you couldn't find it on the show <laughs> floor. You had to find a Sega employee, tell them the secret fucking password, and they would take what? you to an off-site <laughs> yeah, location to play the game. Yeah. Did they put oh a bag God. over your head, that. too? I, mean, I appreciate their dedication <laughs> there with like because it's a spy thriller game, but come on! 
I know. Yeah. I would love to play it, but I don't want to deal with that. Like, jeez. I remember seeing all that activity on Twitter, like on the Sega Twitter, because I follow that. Did it's they like, say what the password tweet is? Because I still have no idea what it was. Hey, I think you had to you had to direct message them um, your t- through Twitter and get you uh, know the password and to get basically signed up to go play Alpha Protocol somewhere. Else. Hey, you know where Alpha Protocol is? No, what's the password? Choco Taco on a Sunday. <laughs> All right, come with us. <laughs> you should be in charge of making your password. Apparently, Sega did not. Yes, want you me should. I hope that L.A. Noir, whenever they show that, they have a secret thing like that. But you have to talk like a gangster, like Nah, see, meh. Oh, speaking of gangsters, Mafia 2 was there, but all they had was a fake bar with three TVs showing a trailer. And oh, uh, get so pouring you crystal light. Really? <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah, they're really authentic there. So how was the show floor in general this year, just just in terms of games to see and, and the space to go see them? Because I, I think what we were talking about earlier is it sounds like it was laid out a lot better than in years previous, especially it, last year. It was great. The big booths were kind of dispersed evenly. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they, I think they definitely have a better idea of how to map out the show floor this year to improve being able to walk between booths. As for certain booths uh, generating attention, I think that Bungie should get their own space away from Microsoft because Firefight <laughs> attracted so many people and it was just not set up for that type of line. And Left 4 Dead 2 blew me away. Like last year when it attracted a huge line, I could see it coming because it was definitely a high-profile game. But Left 4 Dead 2, it doesn't seem like it's that much different than the original, but apparently people are big enough fans that they were willing to line up out the door for that thing. And they were willing to play it on 360, too. But That thing's gone from zero to a huge following online, and I'm I'm just... I can imagine the whole line just being just bitching about how it's not an add-on pack or something else for DLC, <laughs> yeah. and then going in to play it and being blown away. Yeah, they didn't seem to care. E3 thing, I think it's finally <laughs> run its course. That controversy, and people are starting to see it as a. I'm actually more interested in it now, considering the recent um, influx of photos and creepy clown zombies. Well, you know, I was actually a big defender of Valve being able to release a fifty-dollar game if they want to every year, but. I watched it for a while, and, you know, it doesn't look all that interesting to me. It looks a lot, a lot like Left 4 Dead 1, and I didn't really see... So we're flip-flopping now, Nick. Yeah, I'm kind of actually a little bit disappointed (laughs) in that, too. Maybe if I played it, I would have realized that it was actually quite, you know, way tighter. Uh, The levels are way better designed to take advantage of the four-player situation, that kind of thing. Having admittedly not played as much Left 4 Dead as you have, Nick, I think it looks pretty good. I mean... I like the emphasis on uh, melee weapons. I like the environment variety. I like that there's actually like daytime levels now. I think that's a, a decent improvement. And the new enemy types look yeah. pretty interesting to me. That's true. I mean, it does look like a much better evolved, fleshed out game. No pun intended. And uh-huh. Melee is one thing that really needed improvement because all it did was basically serve to give you time to reload. Yeah. In one and. That seems kind of like a wasted opportunity. I'm so maybe I'm just being too crotchety about it. Well, I'm still curious. I mean, I'm worried about it, too. I'm still curious if I'm going to play it as long as I played the first one, which love the first one, and as kind of cliche as it is at this time, I love zombies and zombie fiction and stuff, but I was into that long before all of the, I guess you could call them neckbeards were. Um, but... I love Left 4 Dead, and I just stopped playing it after a while. Playing the same maps, even with verses and stuff, just kind of lost its luster. And I'm hoping too retains a little bit more of my interest. But who knows? As far as purchasing goes, I think the show floor really did a good job of illustrating 
just how much is going to be available this year after we've seen like all the pushes to next year, like all the things have been delayed. Like there's still so much coming out. I was it's curious staggering. about that. Nick, Nick, and you too, Tyler, were both telling me that separately. That oh crap, I'm screwed in terms of what you want to now buy after your experience at PAX. And so, what were some other surprises and favorite games that you guys saw? Things that kind of caught you off well, guard. Well, you if you if you did enjoy the co-op and Left 4 Dead, I really think you should play Borderlands. I love the idea of not only co-op and a full game like that. But the idea of having a constantly evolving character, and since the game scales with you, yeah. like you can play with people that are a lower level than you and a higher level than you, and it won't make a serious impact mm-hmm. on the play you're having. It is fantastic. That's that's easily my biggest surprise. You know, best surprise of packs for me was Borderlands because I, I I'd heard the concept and I wanted it to be good, and then I had about ten minutes with it playing with Tyler, and it was just a blast. Good. I, I've been really interested in that game for a while now, and I'm just still so iffy. Because, I mean, think of the concept, the stylized look, their um, art concept style is cool, and the idea of millions of guns and co-op play all sound great, but they sounded more like bullet points and something that would actually provide good gameplay. But it's good to, s- to see that you guys seem to enjoy Likewise, it. Likewise, uh, ODST's Firefight mode... Yeah, at first I thought it was just going to be a clone of Horde mode, but I think that they're definitely improving Mm -hmm. a lot of the problems that Horde mode had. I I agree. Uh, Horde mode, for me, I think the biggest problem was that there were no true Horde mode maps. They're all the same maps that you would play on versus multiplayer. Whereas in Firefight, all the maps are dedicated to Firefight. There's no crossovers between the Halo 3 maps and the Firefight maps. They're shipping with 10 maps, I think, and, uh, well eight maps plus two that are day and night variations. And since you're an underpowered uh, Master Chief, like you, the, the play mm-hmm. is still the same, but since you're an ODST trooper, you don't have the same level of durability. It requires a much greater level of cooperation than I thought Gears of War had. And I thought one of the biggest problems with Horde mode when we played Gears of War was that the best strategy was always picking a certain area and just hoarding yeah, up. Holding just, yeah, up. just taking that one area yeah. and from what we played on our map, Nick, I mean, granted, we only had 10 minutes of playtime. It doesn't seem like that's really a reasonable solution to winning that mode. Hmm. No, I think it's fair to say that the the AI, the enemy AI in Halo is above and beyond anything in Gears of War uh, multiplayer. And uh, this is just my personal view, but I've always thought that when it comes to designing multiplayer maps, it's there are very, very few companies that can equal Bungie. And I would say that they've Bungie usually outclasses even that. They also did a really good job of making enemies threatening again. Uh, Hunters in that mode and the Brutes in general were more threatening than enemies in Halo have been since probably Halo 1. Like, in Halo 2 and uh, Halo 3, I don't think I ever saw a Hunter and thought, oh crap. But (laughs) in Halo, in uh, ODST, in Firefight mode, when I saw the Brute and Chieftain with the hammer, like, the first time I saw him, the first thing I thought was, I need to take him down right now because <laughs> yeah. I do not want that hammer anywhere near me. That's you know that dude needs a grenade right the fuck now. It really changes your perspective because you know most of us, I think all of us, have played all three Halo games pre- preceding mm-hmm. this one, mm-hmm. and you're not used to walking up to two jackals and thinking, "Oh my god, I'm screwed." Even on Legendary, but that's yeah. what firefights like. You know, you're you're weak. You need to really coordinate with your teammates, and if you do, you'll come out successful. But who thought that nerfing you would be a great design? <laughs> no strategy? kidding. Yeah, it's, it, it's great. And they actually made the submachine <laughs> gun a worthwhile weapon. Ooh, nice. Yeah, all those improvements they made to... Um, didn't they put a silencer on it, too? Yeah, a silencer and a scope. pistol back in. Mm-hmm. 
Skill Pistol is why I'm buying that game. It does disappoint me, though, that currently there are no plans to support ODST after launch, aside from just patching it. That's a shame. Is that yeah, it's, it's entirely because yeah. Reach is shipping next year. Apparently the game was only developed in 15 months. 14. 14? Yeah. It's, it's, it's Sorry, wow. just that extra month there really, really <laughs> bugged me. No, but I I really, I don't know. I'm still on the fence about ODST. I think it sounds like it'll be a solid game. There's not anything wrong with it specifically. I just, I was still expecting it to be less than $60, and this could, it's a stupid argument, I understand, but there are so many other games that I would prioritize over another Halo experience, even though from your yeah. guys' impressions, From what I've heard about the story and from what I've played of Firefly mode, I think it's going to be worth the $60. Although... If I, I could buy it at reduced price and not get the second disc with all the Halo 3 maps, I would. Yeah. Because I, I just don't care yeah. about Halo 3 multiplayer anymore. Compared to Firefight, it's just not as interesting. I mean, Firefight is a really sizable and important addition. And Halo game. 3 is one of those this games where two awesome. years out, like, the only way to really have fun with it anymore is to be competitive. And you, yeah. you don't have yeah. a chance in that yeah. game anymore. And I feel bad for all That's the people a- that have bought, like, every single Halo map and is now... The only way to get the last three is to buy ODST, which already comes with all the maps you have. So thanks for giving us 30 of your dollars. I think the person that's interested in those final three maps doesn't care that they're buying that because they're seeing the rest of the value in ODST and Firefly. Well, plus, already. they're getting an allowance, so, you know, it doesn't really... <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I guess I've just been kind of bothered by... Halo 3 is one of those galvanizing things. Halo in general, I guess, is one of those galvanizing issues in, in game them of, oh my god, it sucks, or oh my god, it's awesome, and you can't really, really have a gray area. But I totally have a gray I, area for Halo. Yeah, I don't you, think You there's... can, but if you try and talk about that, like, imagine this. If we had a reader or a listening um, audience of 10,000 people, you know how much flame we would get just about mentioning Halo, and, you know, one way or yep. the other. Nobody cares what those people have to say. No. But that's a whole other subject. I people just care what that. we have to say. We're important. Well, it's I care what podcast. we have to say. That's because um, we smoke cigarettes <laughs> at recess. Uh, but Halo 3 just bothered me after a while because I tried going back and playing multiplayer with friends that were over. And oh then God. to play multiplayer, you have to have those map packs. You have to have spent that extra $30 now, even though they gave a few away for free they require you to even log on and play to have those map packs, and I thought that well, was just an absolutely... Some game modes. But the majority of ones you would want to play, for me That's personally, true. and that, that was a crap move. So when ODST comes out, and you're, and you're thinking, oh great, a new single-player story plus extra maps and the ones I haven't purchased, alright, you're going to sell at a reduced price, that's fine, but now that they say they aren't, even if it's worth the $60, it just makes me want to put it on the back burner, at the very least, and get other games like Borderlands, Brutal Legend, and other things that are coming out instead. Beatles Rock Band 2 tomorrow, so... Oh god, yeah. Or that that sounds like a good note to transition on. I think we've uh, talked about ODST to death now. Yeah, I yeah. agree. So we can talk about Beatles Rock Band to death? <laughs> Alright, I'm setting a timer for myself. So <laughs> talk. Okay, An egg so, timer. so Nick, so Nick... How exactly? How far exactly did you go with the Harmonix developers? Third base, all the way around this time. <laughs> hey, Harmonix, how awesome is your I game? I resent that. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome, Nick! It's really awesome. That reminds me of the Chris Farley and Paul McCartney interview on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, it was totally like that. Yeah. No, but okay. So, um, 
we didn't really talk about some of the other panels you went to. The harmonics one, I know you went <laughs> so to. So long, Nick, Beatles. But uh, as far as like Beatles rock band, um, I mean, it's coming out tomorrow. We know you're getting it. I'm going to get it. But is there anything else you have to say about it? Um, yeah. Okay. I was not expecting the harmonies to be as fun as they were. Really? Yeah, I think that's going to really make or break how much experience or enjoyment you get out of the experience. So and I mean, it's it's a very solid game on its own, I'm sure. But uh, something about it is singing in harmony, even if people aren't all that good at it. It was just well, is that I was going to say they I was going to say they still have no fail mode right accessible from the get go, right? Well, yeah, and I think easy mode is automatically on no fail now. Oh, cool. Huh. So. Even if you don't know the songs and are quite possibly intoxicated, or don't know how to sing the game in the game and are quite possibly intoxicated, just knowing the Beatles songs alone and being able to try and hammer it out will be quite the fun experience. Well, yeah, and I mean, even if you if you really want to perfect it, there's a great vocal trainer that will actually uh, play each individual pitch in a harmony for you, so you can try and. The biggest problem it. with hmm. Beatles Rock Band though is that Harmonix's booth are always in this sort of nebulous bubble that you're never going to experience in real life unless you go to, like, one of those rock band nights at a bar because you're never going to have... Yeah, the one that's, like, a half mile from my yeah, place. You're never going to gonna have a, a situation where you have, like, all the deluxe instruments set up. You're going to have three mic stands. You're going to have huge HD yeah. screens. Well, PAX really is, like, one of the uh, perfect places to play rock band. If you, that I agree. That's why I spent so much time at the harmonics booth despite my, you know, nagging sense of journalistic ethics or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. It's a whole other subject to talk about Beatles Rock Band in depth, but I'm I'm glad... Yeah, I'm glad that you have seen some enjoyment out of the harmonies that you wouldn't before. I guess I'm still just worried that the more and more I have to enjoy my music games is based on how many more peripherals I have available. Oh, I don't know. It all depends on how many people you're playing with. Yeah. And at that point, it's a different argument. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess the most gratifying thing was just seeing the diversity of people playing that game. I, I saw, uh, of all people, Jeff Green standing and watching and having a great time. I don't know if he's saying or not, but I talked to him for a while. I asked him if he was Major Nelson, because apparently someone else thought he was earlier. I thought that was funny. <laughs> Karen Chu of the Geekbox um, was also there when we were performing. She was getting pretty into uh, it. Cool. Yeah, I, I just, think they're both type of... Fi- or not... Outward fans, but I think I've heard Karen talk about it before on Geekbox podcasts, and I think Jeff Green's a fan of and it. And he as also well. works for EA, but so yeah, there's I mean, some semblance of uh, corporate obligation there to go visit the other booth. Yeah. Well, it's just published by EA Partners, come on. Hey, for the record, I actually played Jeff Green's game, uh, My Sims <laughs> Agents, just to see what he wrote. And how, how was it? <laughs> I didn't really get it. <laughs> I, I, or there was nobody around to help me figure out what I was doing, which probably speaks volumes about my ability to play a kid's game, but um, hey. it, it looks cool. I think I could see really getting into the customization of it. I just didn't... I thought you would actually like go out on missions and stuff, and all I could do was... showings in general missions. just weren't very impressive. Uh, no one was really promoting no. Brutal Legend. I know Tim Shaver was there, but it was on, like, four screens, and there was nothing... There was no booth set up for it. Yeah. It was only on four That's screens. That's a Army of Two and Saboteur were also there, and neither of those looked very com- or interesting at all. Just nothing to really grab my attention. Army of Two looks almost exactly Saboteur like Army cool. of Two uh, One. Saboteur, yeah, is an interesting art style, but uh, yeah, it just it, it reminds yeah, me of the game. Saboteur just... sounds like Assassin's Creed with guns. What with like a Mad World's art style. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. And God, Dante's Inferno, like. That game just bothers me on a like in, me uh, higher level. 
cut. On your intellectual level or your literary level? <laughs> both. Both. And, and both. It, it got it. Not only is it like just defecating on the corpse of Dante Alighieri, it's uh, it's just it's such a shameless God of War clone, and the environments like I, I suppose they look like hell as you would imagine it, but I don't know what level of diversity <laughs> it's really going to have, and yeah, it's just the the art direction of that game entirely, it, it's I find it wholly unappealing and. I see no reason I would pick up that game this year over the re-released God of War collection for PS3. So it's not even a um, sustainable clone to make it worthwhilely fun. I I almost call it insulting that this is the project that Visceral is working on after the Dead Space games. Yeah. Yeah. Dead Space was so 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 original. And... Even the yeah. Wii extraction seems to be somewhat interesting. Yeah, that was the there. Console. That actually looks it pretty looks good cool. for a light gun shooter. I mean, the Wii's capable of some great light gun games. I had a blast with... Uh, House of the Dead? Yeah, House of the Dead Overkill. And uh, extraction looks like... I really want to play House of the Dead Overkill, actually, if only for the campy, grindhouse sort of feel. And all the mother effers. Oh, God. Exactly, that's part of it. It's <laughs> hilarious. Like, it's just... It's like watching... It's like... An uncensored adult slim show. It's just really, really crude. But anyway, that's a different story. So um, uh, we still wanted to mention in our allotted time, um, one of the bullet points here is talking about the developers of the show, some of the panels. Um, and we were talking about harmonics briefly, but anything else you guys want to mention? Retronauts? Uh, I went to Retronauts. It was definitely an uh, interesting uh, panel. It they kind of went out of their usual style and the panel was entirely dedicated to Penny Arcade. And so it was less of a retro notes focusing mm-hmm. on a particular game but or a game series, but rather a panel discussing a part of game culture and how mm-hmm. Penny Arcade has been this reflection of different time periods within gaming as a industry. And so, that yeah, that was definitely... Uh, fairly interesting. It had uh, Jeremy Parrish, uh, Chris Kohler, Shane Bettenhausen, Justin Haywald of 1UP, and uh, one more person whose name I'm failing at the moment, so I apologize to whoever you are, even though you'll probably never listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds like an interesting um, turn to talk about the culture. I mean, if you read Penny Arcade and you go back in the archives, it does feel like the era and the date that the comics come from. They've been a huge part of gaming culture. And, and for me, as somebody who watches not only gaming culture as an interested party, but also knows a bit about journalism culture and stuff from what I've studied, it really seems like Penny Arcade, both in the form of the comic and uh, Tycho's posts on a daily basis, are the editorial column of the video game world. It's taking the exact uh, heartbeat and pulse of what's happening in gaming anytime because Tycho's usually talking about what he's playing. And the comic is, more often than not, satire about what's happening in gaming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, now, Nick, I know from Twitter and from other places you had quite the interesting weekend. It sounds like you were in Harmonix's hip pocket, which is why I was joking about that earlier. So, if you could expand, <laughs> let's poke could exp- fun at Nick loving Harmonix some more. I'm I'm not trying to poke fun too much no, right I now know. because I know you absolutely <laughs> loved every second of it. But I just want to get a more fleshed out. Uh, ideas about what the experience was like. 
to put it in perspective, I'm actually currently wearing a harmonic shirt I bought this weekend. I thought you were going to say underwear. You, have I mean, you even watched that yet? I've been surprised. Yeah, I watched it yesterday. Why do you ask? You think I'm no, I just noticed that you were wearing it during PAX, too. I mean, it, and when it was warm uh, out of the dryer, he rolled around in it. Feel oh, I can still smell the harmonics. <laughs> I can smell smells those like new plastic instruments. Oh, uh, it smells like Harmonic Sean's handlebar mustache. Well, let's start with Harmonic Sean, actually. Uh, <laughs> Sean Baptiste is the uh, yeah. community manager for Harmonics. You can and, actually uh, see me Tyler in some and I. of the pictures he posted on Twitter of the people that went to go sign up for yeah, I uh, saw that. Rock Band Network Beta. Oh my god, let's, I gotta tag you to on that. Facebook. <laughs> well, uh, I don't need more embarrassing internet but, pictures of me. We'll get to that later, but basically on Friday night he just organized a tweet up, which is a term oh I hate. Oh my god. Um, basically, like, about 15 people just all gathered around. We were going to go get donuts, but then the donut place closed, so he's like, screw it, let's go get drunk. And so he went off to this bar and, and drank <laughs> a chocolate like bacon martinis. He did drink, oh. a, tro- he drank a chocolate bacon God. martini. That sounds terrible. Um, but we just basically, it was it was nice to talk to like a, a person in the industry who didn't just want to talk about like their product. Well, yeah, I mean, we talked about like all movies and all I think that's stuff. that's one of the biggest surprises of PAX is that we we are all so involved in the industry that we see these people, these developers, these journalists as almost quasi celebrities. And so they, they develop this aura of unapproachability mm-hmm. to us. Like they're they're beyond uh, us, even though they're still just these people. And it really is amazing to see how eager they are to talk to us, how fun it is to just hang out with these people and have a normal conversation that doesn't involve professionalism just to be able to talk about what you've seen yeah. I actually got the chance to witness David Ellis of Game Videos freak out at an enforcer who was trying to kick us out of uh, GameWorks because uh, their bar was closing so that was, that was <laughs> cool. I was going to say I mean there's the joke was last year when 1UP finally had a good meetup at, Ga- at uh, GameWorks actually the joke was that um, Shane Bettenhausen, formerly of One Up and EGM, now working Ignition. For Ignition, Ignition, um, that he had the cult of man god just hanging out, and just all these people from Internet Forums and NeoGaf that wanted to talk with him, and he seemed like such an unapproachable figure. Meanwhile, it's me and David Ellis shooting the shit and laughing at that fact more than anything. That was actually what like said it's... on his title card at the Retronauts panel: uh, Shane Bettenhausen, former <laughs> man god. <laughs> I got. To uh, I believe it was. Uh, I believe it was Luke Smith who coined that. I got one, a chance actually. to talk with him at uh, Ignition's booth for Muramasa, and that that was definitely a lot of fun. Cool. I didn't even see him this year. He, he he's, so he's one of the more uh, enthusiastic. Like even when these people move into these industry jobs, you can still see the level of enthusiasm, level of nerddom in them. Mm-hmm. So basically, you're saying that was, uh, people in the industry have pretty girl syndrome, where you know you think you can't talk to them, but they're actually people. Well, they, they joke about that at PAX. How yeah. uh, these developers, these journalists going to PAX, it's like being the prettiest girl at the prom. Because even though you're once you go back out in the outside world, you're still nothing. For at least that weekend or that day, <laughs> you're very important. You're very you're getting a lot of attention. Like, I'm, I'm sure. But instead of getting pregnant at prom, these developers are actually creating something that will be forever digitized. Well, prom girls get uh, hepatitis uh, 
uh, developers get swine flu packs. So it's a, it's a, it's now a to all of our prom listeners, that's not always true. I know some of you are nice girls, so we'll have to append that. I was gonna say the prom queen probably gets a bottle of Soko and a broken condom, whereas these developers gotta write do it, or these writers as well gotta write shit and do work and then go back home and go. Okay, and still that was have the vacation. Soko and broken condom waiting. Amanda, if you're listening to this, <laughs> awesome. I yeah, that's another story. For what happened four years ago. I imagine that's what happened when Tim Schafer parties. I actually <laughs> ran into him. My first Tim, Tim Schafer had Guar at uh, the last bus out of downtown Seattle. Tim Schaefer was uh, stumbling around downtown Seattle, uh, <laughs> what I believe to be called uh, shit-faced drunk. But he, he, even the, and even <laughs> nice. in that state, he is a supremely friendly gentleman. I can he's, imagine him. He's a great guy. He's all warm-heartedly. He's like a game-developing hobbit. Oh my god. He, he, he's a very small, <laughs> hairy he's man. He's the Peter Jackson of games. He actually looks a lot like Jack Black, which really explains the brutal legend. Yeah, those why uh, it came to existence. those videos with them. The what were those officially titled? Those multiple brutal videos. Thoughts. I don't know what they were titled, thoughts. but it was always looked yeah. like it was Jack Black and Jack Black's cool uncle. <laughs> <laughs> the one who's actually toned down um, a notch. Yeah, just a little bit. I uh, I kind of want to reiterate what Tyler said though about the fact that like PAX kind of presents this opportunity for everybody to just sort of. Drop all pretense and just talk about games and the stuff that interests them. And it's, uh, I think that's if you're gonna sum up the value of why you go to this event, that's absolutely it. It's it, you won't find that anywhere else. You won't find that really at E3. You won't find it at Gamescom. You won't find it at Comic. Well, you will. At Comic-Con. Nick, if you want one panel to epitomize PAX as a whole, you should have gone to the Brody over Union panel. Oh, I'm I waiting for that I audio have. and video to drop so much. You don't know how much that, I'm that. It was that. completely fan-organized that it was one guy saying, I want these guys to follow up on their word to have a live rodeo at PAX. He, he's the one that got them all to agree to it. He was the one that set up the initial investment for the room, because apparently you have to pay money to reserve these rooms. And uh, Jerry wow. and uh, Mike from Penny Arcade actually apparently uh, comped the room and the money they originally put down <laughs> for the deposit went to Child's Play. Wow. Nice. And That's great. Awesome. The, even though these panels are supposed to be an hour, the rodeo reunion went on for two and a half hours of t- reminiscing about this this podcast that was largely a touchstone for the uh, front of gaming podcasts that were out there, and just talking about the history, what it meant to these, these guys, what it meant to us. There were so many people that had questions for these guys, and it's it just shows like how much good it did, how much it meant to these people, even though it's just something in the grand scheme of things, it's so minor. Mm-hmm. And even though largely for them, for half of its life, I think they were losing uh, podcast cast members and writers as GFW was dying. And then eventually the, the, what was the one up in EGM network went away. It was a fantastic podcast though. I will say that. Yeah, I, I think that's and the greatest irony is that most of the time the podcast uh, wasn't even concerned about games. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I th- I think that's what kind of sums up packs in general. I was definitely going through a bit of withdrawals after having gone to the last two packs expos, and even though it's a huge hassle and it's a huge time investment, and you're dead tired after the whole weekend of it, it is just the best place to go if you love video games and the culture. It's better than E3 because you're gonna get so much better access, and you can't even legally get into E3 unless if you're. Another great uh, culture and panel it, was a oh. gay gamers panel, which was uh, going through the back door. Uh, breaking into the game industry. 
Wow. And that that was another panel. It was granted it was concerned with a, a far more niche element of uh, gaming culture, the idea of homosexuals that also game. It it also kind of touched on this idea of gamers as a whole are already ostracized. To be further ostracized from a mm-hmm. niche group is just that much harder for an individual. And just that this hobby could be so strong that could keep these people enduring that level of intolerance is is pretty astounding and it makes them better people for it. Well, I have to give it up for Gay Gamer in general. They do some great work on their website and they have some great yeah. writers and even though, yeah, it's talking about specific topics um, for a specific group, it's still great thought-provoking stuff, so that would sounds like it would have been a great panel. To it's a shame to. that Neil Flynn, yeah. one of the founders, didn't make it out, because I've had a chance to meet him at PAX in the past, and he is a very fascinating individual. And from what I understand, the site actually began as a joke, but so many people thought it was a great idea that it kind of blossomed into something unique and something credible. Um, I, I will be honest and say that the only panel I really made an effort to attend was the Rock Band Network panel. Um, <laughs> that was an epic sigh. It, it was. Was that? Um, I read about that. Was that where Jonathan Colton was there and yeah, ran through the great. whole creation of a song to put on the network? Yeah, uh, Tyler was there too. But I'll uh, I'll give you the rundown. Um, basically, the panel was designed just to give people a brief overview of what Rock Band Network is and uh, how the tool set works, and the basic concept of going from master recording to playable game track. And uh, it, it was fascinating to, uh, for me, just because like I, I know a bit about sequencing and MIDI uh, construction and all that kind of stuff, and obviously I know a little bit about Rock Band. I've, I've played it a few times. I've, I've almost, I'm almost up to hard on guitar. So. Um, <laughs> Disclaimer, that's fake. Editor's note, that's not true. Disclaimer, that's sarcasm. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really, really into rock band. But um, to, to illustrate the point, they actually had Jonathan Colton join them, which I thought was really cool and kind of a good sign of, I guess, uh, support from a pretty awesome musician. And so he played one of his songs on, on guitar, real guitar, and then they showed how they took the song and charted it into the game and tested it. And then they had a few people come up and play it, and uh, including Jonathan Colton on guitar. He wasn't very good on the, in the game, but... Uh, <laughs> He's really good at real guitars. So I remember that I was still alive when the video came out of him playing, and he didn't do too well on his own song, which I found to be very humorous. Nick, this may shock you, but <laughs> Paul McCartney has gone on record saying he has actually never played rock band. Yep. Oh, I saw that. I think it's funny. I think he's. I think he's. <laughs> Does not shock me. I think it's Paul McCartney. I think has a reason- million things to do other than play rock band, even if yeah, his yeah. music is in one of the games. <laughs> I think his reason was it's because I was in the in the first one that <laughs> it was it was something really witty. He said I like play guitar on all of the songs. Why would I want to go back through and play with plastic yeah. instruments? Something that yeah, that I was effect. in the band the first time. I was Baron. <laughs> That's it. Was, I was in the band the first time. Bass, so playing guitar would be inaccurate. He said guitar. That's what I was confused at. But bass guitar. Well, he is played guitar on some tracks too. Yeah, I mean, it gets a Tyler. Anyways, semantics. God. Continue. God. Uh, let me just stroke my neck beaver here. Um, <laughs> so at the end of the panel, Ew. people, uh, one of the guy presenting the uh, the tool set, I forget his name. I feel bad about that, but um, he was like, "Well, should we stop here?" And then everybody was like, "No, show us more." And it's like, "Really?" 
Like they didn't expect. Well, he didn't want to stop Sandal. He just wanted to stop talking about all the nerdy architecture that went into creating these songs. Well, yeah. (laughs) And apparently there was an audience for that. Yeah. Well, we were the audience, and then at the end of the, (laughs) what surprised me the most was that at the end of the panel, uh, Sean Baptiste was like, "Okay, uh, we want to get maybe about a hundred you guys or something." maybe to sign up to uh, get a free four-month uh, XNA membership, which is the uh, Microsoft development uh, community thing. Uh, and that's maybe, like a $30 value or something. Well, about... It's, it's only twenty nine ninety nine. But now. he wanted to get uh, basically a whole slew of people that would be willing to test and uh, all the, you know, the first Rock Band Network songs and kind of get involved in that hmm. process. And I don't think he quite expected to have, like... There were literally more than 150 people following him from this <laughs> this room on the sixth <laughs> floor of the expo hall, down the escalator, outside into a big courtyard, like five minute walk away, just to sign up for this. He was a regular like, gaming have a Pied Piper was leading. <laughs> I was gonna say regular gaming Pied Piper, but you know. Yeah. So I'm really Thanks. psyched to uh, get a chance to do something. I was still a little time. disappointed I, uh, I missed the Star Wars panel where you apparently got free codes of the Knights of the Old Republic on Steam. Yeah. Aww. Oh, but Nick did get free Lord of the Rings online, didn't he? Everyone you know? did. Yeah, I have a copy waiting for you. Oh, was that included in the swag? <laughs> it shows you how much value that bag. game holds these days. I've heard yeah, it's not that it. bad. I'll play it for the free month. Well, yeah, it's free. I gotta get that to you, Aaron, though, so I actually have someone to play it with, because it would be pretty Yeah, that's true. Solo. You do oh. have to do that. But now that you might potentially have the swine flu, I don't know if I'll be coming over. I'm feeling fine now. I think that beer helped a lot. That's one thing doctors don't tell you, but beer helps a lot. Before. It does. I, I think so. Chicken what, soup What did you get that from too. a Farmel's Almanac from 1898? <laughs> I bet cigarettes also the best beer from Almanacs. Too. The Chinese literally believe that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Heroin so is a As long great. as you don't get like cancer from cigarettes, that's just making the lung stronger, baby. Hey, heroin so was a painkiller back then. Yeah, that's true. It still kind of is, but hey, this is another topic entirely. It's not PAX. Oh, another defining moment of PAX. Uh, I got to sing Big Bottom by Spinal Tap on a stage. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> really? Oh. Yeah. That was pretty incredible. Please tell me this was like something that the PAX developed and the uh, the harmonics developers encouraged you to do for this. They they were watching. I don't know if they were... <laughs> did you go... Did you shout out to them and like, this one's for you? Or... <laughs> No, that would be really did you Did you just look in, deep into the eyes of Dan Teasdale and just sing? He was in there. Ah, <laughs> uh, he's working on super super secret stuff. But I I talked to Casey, who's a an also, yeah. also a designer there. Were any he, uh, Were any bras uh, he, thrown at you on stage? No, but oh. I'll get to that. Um, <laughs> basically, Casey said that next year we'll, we'll we will know what Dan has been working on, and it'll be a PAX probably. He will be mm, a PAX. So cool. that means. I don't think it's Rock Band 3. I think it's going to be something completely different. I do love that you're on a first-name basis with these people. Oh, yeah. Well, we go way back to, like, you know... Get to finally find out what the hell Dan's been doing. He hasn't told us much lately. (laughs) Well, the man. To be fair, I've actually seen Dan in three different states. So, I figure that that, that is, like, enough to be able to... You have interviewed them before, so... Yeah, that's very true. He's a great guy. He's been really helpful with answering all my stupid questions about working in the game industry and all that, so. Um, yeah. What's next? 
Well, as far as I know, we've covered most of our talking points tonight. Okay. And we've kind of reinforced that for people who are really nerdy, going to PAX is like making a pilgrimage to Mecca. It's it's something that's I do at least much once a equivalent. Except, yep. There's no wailing wall or anything, but it's still pretty exciting. What about the smell? Maybe a wall of people who smell. You would wail when you go by. It. <laughs> oh. oh God! Like I like I put in the post for uh, backlog last week. The funk of forty thousand. Uh, <laughs> what you know? What I'm saying that. Great sponsorship opportunities are not being taken. Throw Old Spice and Axe in there, and in the swag bag, give you some body spray, and make it a requirement. For that pass, you have to spray on deodorant every day, and if you're getting sweaty. It's not that nerds in general smell, it's that wherever you go, there. even you go to a gym, and people don't like have s- extreme BO. It's like, come on. There are other people that it's have It's that nerds are also generally... Aaron, uncool. you do that and Pax is Tyler, going to create its own hole in the o- ozone layer. <laughs> what well, yeah. already is with all the methane being produced, but that's another story. Uh, Tyler, <laughs> did, did you... Was that a fart reference? Like, that was yes, it was. Joke. That was our first fart okay. joke. Okay. We're really making... You said methane, there. too, so... <laughs> At least uh. you said methane. Um, well, whatever. Um... Tyler, did you see those shirts that said that if if this shirt doesn't stink, I'm not gaming? I did. I, I did. That. I thought those were quite <laughs> Jake Glass. That is exactly <laughs> what is wrong picture with people. Proper wow. I also saw a morbidly cool. obese gentleman with Take a shirt that says the cake is a lie. I don't think the cake was a lie for him. I think the cake was truth. <laughs> it was truth, solid. I think the cake truth. and the pie and the fried chicken was all true to him. Well, we sound like people that are the stereotypically anti-nerd in high school people. Well, that was a job. The thing is, those those people weren't. don't really get the gaming jokes the way we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you're saying that, it's like saying that if you're a black person, you can make black jokes? Uh, yeah. That's, is, that, that's, is that where you're going Or or, or, or if you have a Come black on. friend. <laughs> oh, just, yeah. Just, well, remember and, stuff and white <laughs> people like, so... Yeah. And well, let me drag this out of the closet, but Tyler was very, very trepidatious about going to PAX and feeling like it somehow publicly shamed him as a nerd. I, I did consider going we... incognito the first year, and and even a little bit this year. Incognito? How would you assume an idea? Dress like Sakura. Dress up like a spy and put somebody else's mask on. <laughs> That's how you go incognito. Put on your Goku costume and go. Oh. If I if I could afford, I, I, I get, would totally go I get down in full uh, Halo gear. <laughs> I guess it's a little bit demeaning to be there. Sometimes I mean, this I, I, so. I think this year, it wasn't nearly that bad, but it's still a little bit weird to be like, okay, I'm hanging out with a bunch of people who play a lot of games. Well, it's just it's the side effect of the fact that this is a medium that attracts a lot of people that feel ostracized from general society. It is an escapist medium. It is a hobby that draws people who do not may not be socially acceptable in other means. If that sounds a yeah. bit unforgiving, I apologize. But well, no, it's true. No. It's it, the medium itself has grown so much even in the last five years, and it's becoming more "quote unquote" mainstream acceptable. But I, you know, I I would prefer 
as weird as the variations in people who go to these things can be, I would rather hang out with them than at, like, a film festival with a bunch of pretentious D-bags. It, Me too. You know, there will be those people in the game industry, but it seems like I was like going to say, you're going to find some gaffers. I totally want to hang out at a Pitchfork uh, <laughs> festival and just talk about how awesome oh, Food Foxes man. are. That, that Let's would talk be about <laughs> <laughs> The yeah, 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 as in Radiohead. Tell them about that time you saw Animal oh. Collective. <laughs> oh, man. We're going to have the fires of Gaff and Pitchfork def- de- descend upon us. They'll have some we'll way to set them search. on each other. Yeah, they'll have some way to search the actual audio content for their keywords and then flame it's us. It's true, though, that... that so you should put a Gaff tag on It's true, though, that this. gaming is, is getting diverse enough to the point where we could probably even have, like, these little festivals within packs. Like, you could have the Gearheads playing fours over here. You could have the Maddenholics up and mm-hmm. over there. You could have like all the furries playing whatever fucking Korean MMO of the month over here, just to actually just put them in an entirely <laughs> different building. With the that was such that was such a loaded statement that we could go off in a whole other podcast just about furries and Korean MMOs. I think. <laughs> but at the same time, though, PAX isn't for I mean, isn't for the people who buy Halo Three, Call of Duty, whatever, at, and Madden yeah. every year. But it's Halo Three was there. Forza Three was there. Those games are there. There are people playing them. They're not being ignored. Well, of course, because they're huge franchises. It's just that I understand what Doug's saying that the no frat Madden, boys that only play two games of these specific franchises and are only into it because those are dope and tight, and they hang out with their brohams. That's not what Pax is for. Pax is for. And that's why it's been successful. The people who are on the periphery, the people that love gaming culture so much, they can name 20 different references and read the Penny Arcade comic every week and multiple the other best, comics. The, the reason why it succeeded is because Gabe and Tycho are huge hardcore gamers and they built something they would have wanted to I would not themselves. have been surprised yeah. at all if I found out that someone that is obsessed with Halo, that plays tons of Halo, came there because they knew that there was an ODST panel showing off exclusive footage and it would be the first opportunity to play Firefight. I think for hey, those people, people those $50 might have been worth it. If That's, some, yeah, those people are mostly at UW. If some Halo fans could get state. so pissed off that when they went and bought Halo Wars the day it came out and said, what what the hell is this? What's an RTS? I thought this was supposed to be a first-person shooter. If those people can exist, I'm sure they probably would have shown up to PAX anyway. Maybe they're just so burnt by the fact that you can't teabag in an RTS. It helps that Halo yeah. Wars <laughs> what is I said a, earlier really that a great RTS in the first place. Great console no. RTS, but that's not saying much. Well, that's like saying great Wii game. <laughs> Man, oh! sorry, first, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. First we get into talking about how Halo is so galvanizing, and then we make fun of it, and then we go for the Wii shot. I, I'm enjoying this immensely. Finish We didn't mention anything about PlayStation 3, so that's not, we have to have equal time on our broadcasting. I can't afford to talk about PS3. There you go. You have to take out a second podcast to be able to talk there about PS3. There you go. All right. Cacao. That's more of like a month ago joke, I suppose. Yeah, about now that it's two ninety nine. Yeah, damage it does everything. <laughs> yeah, if you don't have a PS3 now and you like games, two ninety nine is a. That's the point where you make your decision. This podcast sponsored by Sony. If you like games, you have no business yeah. not owning a PS3 at this point. Are you talking to me? Talking to both of you. I think he's talking to both of us. (laughs) Hey, I'm going to get one. I just... My my problem is that I've played the majority of the exclusives so far, so until Uncharted 2 comes out, I don't really have a reason to buy one, because I wouldn't really want to buy anything that I've already played. Ratchet and Clank is coming out in the same... See, if I was... Yeah. 
I like sure. Ratchet and Clank, but that's not a that's not a. If I had a console, I would buy it, but I'm not going to buy a console. For but you're it. buying a console for and, Uncharted yeah, too, so it's settled. You're getting Ratchet and Clank as well. Apparently, yeah, I, I am. My thought process. My thought process is that if I was living with somebody like if Aaron and I were roommates and we wanted to go split on a PS3, it'd be a lot better deal for me because I would love to play a bunch of games on it, but I don't want to put in three hundred dollars even right now. Hey Doug, now. where's your three sixty yeah, right now? Money I've got coming in. Uh. <laughs> Somewhere near the river sticks. It's I think it's in the first level of hell. It might be at a purgatory by now. Who knows? It's in a van down by the river sticks. <laughs> Another Chris Farley reference. We've got two so far. We a- apparent apparently purgatory and hell is in Texas. Who knew? I'm shocked. I hear I've Austin's nice. God, if we got like a multiplier mm-hmm. for every cultural reference we made in this episode, we would totally be in overdrive mode right now. <laughs> we would have the pull up your guitars. We need star power to activate. Oh, Jonathan Colton, while he was playing his song "The Future Soon," he did activate star power on his acoustic. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's, <laughs> oh that's damn good. it! I guess it's overdrive since it's rock band. I still call it star power. It's star power. But they, as far as I know, uh, they don't have that trademarked, but they probably do. I. Uh, I believe that's a guitar hero trade. Guys, as of yeah. right now, we are on our longest podcast ever, clocking in at almost an hour and a half, so maybe we should probably <laughs> wind down the discussion. We're getting into long-winded yeah, territory. I, I didn't want to get too long. Yeah, I thought we I ended it about ten minutes ago, but we kept going. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll listen to it make a call later on if we want to okay. cut it there. So, but do we want... I mean, how do we want to end? How about, real quick... Uh, me and Tyler. Uh, you guys end it. Doug and I will just listen. Okay, so Tyler, I'm wondering, um, what was your absolute favorite game that you played at PAX? Uh, I completely hate this question. Um, God, there, probably Shank. Yeah. Choose one. The the downloadable Shank. title. It was next door to Twisted Pixel. Yeah. Apparently, right now, the dev does not have a publisher. I, I don't even think the game's done. I think that the only playable level they have was the one that we saw. Uh, it's superbly animated. It's very playable. Uh, it's it's sort of an homage to like the the Robert Rodriguez style uh, overkill uh, action game. Uh, you have combos with uh, dual knives, a chainsaw, and a shotgun, and you can fly through the air. You can throw opponents. You fight Mexicans that are larger than a small bus. <laughs> And it's, it's, it, from what I saw, it's extremely well pro- polished, both visually and musically. I am, um, I am very hard pressed not to name that my top game. Uh, I spoke with the, one of the developers for a while while I played it. They were yeah, very great nice guy. to talk to. The, yeah, the game played phenomenally. The 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 combos and the juggling was just hilarious and fun. The violence was over the top, but not like just, you know disgusting or off putting. It was just hilarious. It was very Robert Rodriguez. Uh, I'm glad you liked it that much, too. Um, and I guess if I were to name my absolute favorite game that I played at PAX. Play him off, keyboard cat. Oh, yeah. It would have been, been Conviction if I got to play it. You guys all saw it. Splinter it's a shame Cat. I never got to play yeah. Scribble Cat. That game always had a line, which is... I didn't get to play it either. I wanted to. Looked great. Looked hilarious. I'm certainly buying it, but um, I did. Let's see. You know, I'd have to go with. And this is gonna sound like a total cop out. Uh, yes. The Beatles. 
Profits! <laughs> Money is exchanging hands behind the scene right now. Yeah, just put the stacks of cash over there. Um, that is not a pain. Nick is wearing a money much. hat made of Microsoft points he'll be spending on Rock Band. <laughs> <laughs> you know, money hat made of uh, Microsoft points right. cards. It, it wasn't the most impressive game in many ways. It wasn't the most original game by a long shot, but it was the most fun. Well, outside I, of that, what impressed you the most? Oh, uh, so you mean like if we're not cheating? Yeah. And answering the question legitimately. Yes. Um, outside of a rock band title, what interested <laughs> you most at PAX 2009, Nick? Oh, man. <laughs> um, well. All right, rock band it is. <laughs> No, 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 no. Um, I'm gonna have to go with Shank too. It, it was such a tight game. It came out of nowhere. I think that it definitely was, helps that it's one of the few games of the show that I knew absolutely nothing about going in. It kind of yeah. sounds like a Castle Crashers situation. It, I would. It, I think that's it, very fair. Yeah. Except it, hopefully it doesn't take two more years to finish. Although, the ironically, the Game 3 from Behemoth was just completely above my head. Like, I did not even understand that game. Yeah, I, didn't I had wanted us to mention... I mentioned that in my notes to Nick, because he had told me that he was like, what? To the game, and I was curious. Considering Alien Hominid is definitely more of a um, uh, specific title that some people might not like, but it was still well done, and Castle Crashers, everybody loved, so what was wrong with Game 3? No context. Yeah, uh, it, there's so many different play modes that you're. it's still a platformer, but you're like these nondescript shapes with bodies, and you're just running around competing in some goal that isn't entirely clear, and there's no instructions, there was no talk about what the powers were, uh, I just don't understand the point of the game. I know it's an arcade game, but at least with Alien Hominid and Castle Crashers, the genres which which they were based were so much more clear than what this was. This was so much more abstract, and I'm not entirely sure what they're hoping to accomplish. Yeah, yeah. Those it... other those other two are great homages to their respective genres, but this it sounds like is the sort of thing that wouldn't necessarily demo well on a show floor. It needed either hands-on live instruction or it needed another year. So, I'm hoping... It it's going to get one of the two for sure, probably. Yeah. Well, once again, thanks for joining us. I know this is a, a bit of a marathon session for us, but it was uh, it's good to get packs off my chest so I can finally move on to uh, other things. Like, uh... Playing Beatles Rock Band? Yeah, that. <laughs> and playing more Beatles Rock Band. Yeah, and Guitar Hero 5. I'm, I need to review that. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Harmonix, for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Join us next week. Same Sasquatch time, same Sasquatch place. Channel? Well, it's the internet. There is no channel. Same, same Sasquatch URL. There we go. Thank you, everybody.